BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Thank you for being with us. Let's catch up with a few developments and events that do warrant our attention. Amongst the most important developments, the Biden administration is reconsidering its Orwellian-labeled Disinformation Governance Board. And we hear its boss, Nina Jankowitz, has already resigned just three weeks after the dark Marxist agency was formed. No tears, no tears. We're sure she'll be just fine, still in some other authoritarian role within the Biden bureaucracy in no time. It's merely a pause, but let's be grateful this grotesque abomination is on any kind of pause in this White House. Former Vice President Pence is out stumping for Governor Brian Kemp's re-election in Georgia. President Trump endorsed Kemp's opponent, former Senator David Perdue. Unfortunately for Trump, it looks like Kemp is going to be very hard to beat. And we're told it could be weeks before we know who won the GOP senatorial primary in Pennsylvania. Oz, with a fewer than 1,400 vote lead over McCormick, Trump, of course, boosting Oz. Special counsel John Durham's prosecutors are in court now. Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman on trial on a single charge of lying to FBI agents. And this promises to be a fascinating few weeks. The first week certainly didn't disappoint, as Durham seems to be holding his own against the Democrat establishment and the Obama-appointed judge hearing the case in Washington, D.C. John Solomon's Just the News outlet doing its usual terrific job reporting on this spellbounding story and dramatic trial. John Solomon, great to have you back with us on The Great America Show. And we've got a lot to talk about. And most of what we've got to talk about with you today has to do with your coverage and Just the News uh, of the Durham trial and what is happening uh, with the uh, the jury. Uh, I, I mean, this as I'm sitting here reading uh, what Just the News is reporting and in a few other places, I, I can't even believe Durham is not even so much as raising a finger to protest uh, a, a, a process that to me seems to be entirely weighted toward the left and the defense. Yeah. Now, that, listen, that's true. It, this, uh, people say Washington's a one-party town, and this trial shows it. I mean, from the judge, Judge Cooper, whose wife represents Lisa Page and used to work in the Clinton Justice Department, to uh, the jury poll, three of the 12 seated jurors are Hillary Clinton donors. A fourth is an AOC donor. So uh, we, we've known that Washington is a one-party town. In fact, in 2016, here's a fun stat that's in our story. Uh, Hillary Clinton got 91% of the vote in the District of Columbia. Donald Trump got only 4.1%. So the jury poll is going to be a hometown favorite of Hillary Clinton. That raises the strategy stakes for John Durham. Uh, he knew he had to bring the 
the charge here because this crime occurred in Washington, D.C. But he started off right away today using a term that often triggers liberals in a different way. Many years ago, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, Democrats were uh, a flutter of the idea that there might be an October surprise by Ronald Reagan involving right. the Iran hostages. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, but the Democrats were worried about, well, he turned that around today and said, remember that October surprise? You were all worried about 1980. Well, it happened in 2016 at Hillary Clinton camp, at Hillary Clinton's campaign's request. Michael Sussman walked into the FBI, used the FBI as a political tool to dirty up Donald Trump on an October surprise. So he took the Democrats' worst fear from 1980 and he turned it around and said, you know what? The candidate you might have supported, she did it in 2016. That's how he's going to play this. He's going to bring back this jury to their political biases and then try to flip it around and say, if you were concerned about it in 1980, you should be just as concerned about it in 2016. Don't look at politics. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. And we haven't even begun to look at the evidence. And we know that's going to be quite a process. What I'm <laughs> worried about is this ex-New York Times reporter. Uh, as just the news reported, asking that his testimony be protected in next week's Sussman trial. Yeah. Well, Eric Lichtbau yeah. uh, says says he needs protection on part of that uh, from a protected source, which just happens to be Michael Sussman. It's pretty remarkable. First off, let's keep in mind, he's volunteered to be a, 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 a witness for the defense. So he's already shown his colors, right? He's going to try to help Michael Sussman here in this trial as a reporter who wrote one of the stories about Alpha Bank. Now, in fairness to him, that story knocked down the Alpha Bank theory and, and portrayed it what accurately that the FBI didn't believe that there had actually been a conspiracy. There wasn't this secret communication channel, but it gives you a mindset that a reporter would feel comfortable being a defense witness willingly and then say, okay, the defense can ask me any questions they want because I'm their witness. But when John Duren comes in, I want a lot of things to be off limits. I don't think that's going to succeed. I think the judge is going to say, listen, you came in here, you opened the door, we're going where both sides want to go. I think that's going to fail. But when we talk about Washington being a one-party town, one of the ingredients of the one-party town is so much of the media establishment here is in bed with the Democrats, in bed with the bureaucracy in Washington. You saw it in the text messages of Lisa Page and and um, and uh, Pete Strzok and Andy McCabe, reporters chumming around with them. Uh, the media were a co-conspirator in the spreading of this false Russia story. And now, even as the trial comes along, you see the media still in bed with the Democratic side on the defense of this trial. Not surprising, I think, to most Americans, but at least it's laid bare for the first time in the courtroom. You know, Eric Lickbow, Lickbow is, you know, a well-known reporter. Sure. Um, he seems to be at some risk here of getting into real trouble uh, because if he is not given that protection, he's asking for from the, from the, the, the prosecutor, uh, he could be in a heck of a mess. And so could Sussman. 
Yeah, listen, uh, the, the judge is going to have to face a decision at that moment and decide whether he's going to compel testimony. We saw this happen once before, a famous case a long time ago. Judy Miller, another New York Times reporter, actually went to prison for a while because she wouldn't answer questions in the Scooter Libby trial. So there is precedent in history of sending New York Times reporters to prison uh, or former New York Times reporters to prison to compel them to testify. We'll have to see how this plays out. I think the first thing will be just the judge ruling on the day that Lickbaugh was brought to the stand, what the parameters of the questioning is going to be. Uh, I think John Durham's going to play this smart. He doesn't want to get into any sideshows, but he wants to be able to ask Eric Lickbaugh, who were you talking to? What were they telling you? You agreed to be a defense witness. You can't have it both ways and say, I want to testify for them, but not give you the truth. I think he'll draw that out uh, and we'll, we'll see that. But you're right, Eric Lickbaugh, if he does refuse to testify, the judge has a contempt power uh, to punish him in some way. We'll just see if it gets to that point. I want to point out something really interesting about Eric Lickbaugh because a lot of people don't remember this, but back in 2006, he won the Pulitzer Prize for his coverage of the secret NSA eavesdropping program. Remember, that was a story about the government maybe abusing Americans' rights, spying on Americans. This is a trial about the FBI maybe being abused to again harm Americans, and he's on the opposite side of the issue right now, right? He's the, he's testifying right. for the defense, trying to be a sympathetic witness for them. He saw wrongdoing when George W. Bush was uh, president and the government maybe overreaching and invading the privacy, harming the interests of Americans. But he does he's going to be on the opposite side of that debate when the FBI was used to smear the reputations of people like Carter Page and Mike Flynn and Donald Trump. Very interesting flip on a guy who once hung his shingle on the idea that government overreach was a bad thing. Yeah, and that's a great point. Uh, it is also to be considered, I think, that the New York Times and Lick Blau was a member of the team that won a Pulitzer Prize uh, for the the Russian collusion hoax. Uh, do you suppose this trial will have an impact on whether or not that is returned or asked for uh, by the Pulitzer Committee? <laughs> that is a great question. Look, I keep hearing rumblings, but we can't get it confirmed that the Pulitzer Committee is, in fact, doing a review of some of the behavior. Uh, I do know that there are uh, there's a reporter for Columbia Journalism Review that's doing a look back at the failures of uh, the New York Times, particularly in the Russia collusion story. I believe that will come out this fall. We should all be watching for that. I understand it is a excellent piece of journalism. It'll be good journalism. It won't be the sort of thing we'll be lampooning. But let's go back and remember the Eric Lickbaugh of 2017, because he's one of the writers. Here's one of his headlines. You can check this out. Don't take my word for it. You can go to the New York Times archive and see this. Comey tried to shield the FBI from politics. That's one of his headlines. James yep. Comey didn't shield the FBI from politics. He facilitated the FBI getting in politics by allowing the Russia collusion story to get there. So we get a sense of Eric Lickball's perspective as a New York Times writer by some of the headlines he wrote. Here's another one he wrote. CIA had evidence of Russian effort to help Trump earlier than believed. We now know that the CIA debunked the Russia collusion case, was telling the FBI, hey, Carter Page is our guy. He's not involved. And we're going to hear from, the, we believe, we're going to hear at this trial in the next couple of days, Lou, CIA witnesses coming in saying, hey, we looked at the Sussman stuff and we not only dismissed it, wasn't true. 
we believed it might have been contrived, manufactured. So some of the headlines that Eric Lickbaugh wrote back in 2017, people ought to go back and look at. He isn't exactly uh, been very good on the facts when it came to this Russia story. He was a sympathist for the deep state, a sympathist for the Democrats, as he's now showing as, as a defense witness. But some of his reporting is worth going back to. Certainly some of these headlines are worth revisiting. And you know what? We're going to do that on this show. We're going to go back and uh, go through all of that as this unwinds uh, in court and on the pages of uh, Just the News. Uh, do we do we know just exactly who both sides are working for? You know, that's a great question, right? Um, we, we have a lot of, of understanding of this case. And I, why this case is a very narrow case, really, at the end of the day, the facts for the jury to consider are, did uh, Michael Sussman come in? and tell the FBI falsely he wasn't working on behalf of a client when he was, and he brought this in. We know now for certain he made the claim because John Durham produced a, a, what I would call a smoking gun text message showing that he told the FBI general counsel, James Baker, I'm coming to you on behalf of no client. We now know that that can't be disputed. He's going to try to waffle and say, well, that's not what I meant, or uh, the FBI knew even though I said that, that that wasn't what I meant. It's a very narrow question, but John Durham is using this trial to talk about the bigger story. And early on in his court filings, about three, four weeks ago, he talked about a joint venture, a conspiracy, that this was a conspiracy or joint venture between a law firm working for Hillary Clinton, the Hillary Clinton campaign, a tech executive uh, named Jaffe, who uh, was uh, uh, certainly close to the Clinton campaign and chairing them out and wanted to work for Hillary Clinton if she got to be president. And I think the fourth uh, co-conspirator in that joint venture is the news media. One of the things I wrote about two weeks ago was all of these messages between Fusion GPS, the research firm, and, and, and Sussman and others with the news media, feeding the news media, telling the news media who they could interview in Congress that would give them the quotes that would affirm Russia collusion. The coziness of the news media is going to be a subliminal message or a subplot of this trial. And I think people will walk away at the end of this trial saying, you know what? The media was on the side of the people who gave us a false Russian story. So I think John Durham's going to tell a much larger story in a narrow case in the media, the Democratic uh, machinery and the deep state bureaucracy are all going to be on one side. There, there is so much to this story now uh, that uh, you know the idea that the that the CIA would be debunking the FBI story. Yes, uh, it runs against the grain a bit because we all know that the CIA was enmeshed in this quote unquote joint uh, venture to push this material. And did so. Um, so how do we how do we start to square all of that up? It's a really interesting dynamic because the more I've dug into this, and I, I had the same theory as you, Lou, that the CIA was all the way in on this. And what you learn at the end of the day is the career CIA people, the people that are on the ground, were actually doing the right thing, telling the FBI, "Hey, you really should check this guy Steele out. He needs to be revetted because we think he's too close to Russian oligarchs. He's been infiltrated by Russian intelligence." They tell him, "Hey, why are you looking at Carter Page? He's one of us." Uh, of course, the FBI lies and doesn't tell that to the court, even doctors, the document documents to hide it from the court. There are the career people that actually were doing the right thing, flagging time and time and time again, 
that the FBI was on the wrong case. They were looking at the wrong things. They were being misled. They were perpetrating a case based on Russian disinformation. Those are all words that the CIA used. And then we're going to find out this new development that they told them that this Alpha Bank thing might have even been contrived. Forget that it was wrong. It might have even been manipulated. That's the career people. Then there's John Brennan and the political people at the top of the uh, CIA. And those are the ones that we can now go out and see are on television fanning a Russia collusion story that they themselves knew was false. And how do we know that? Well, we know that John Brennan fanned this and was uh, on TV relentlessly, both as CIA director and then as a consultant uh, uh, media uh, player. But remember what he tells Barack Obama in July of 2016, before this all started. He goes in and tells the president, Mr. President, there's been an intercept and Hillary Clinton's people are being caught on overseas saying they're going to pull a dirty trick on Donald Trump. They're going to try to make him look like a Russian collusion uh, spy or, or patsy because they want to get the attention off her email scandal. So John Brennan knows the truth. He even tells Barack Obama the truth. Then he goes on television and, and, and fans a different uh, story. And I have a funny feeling when this is all done, John Brennan's not going to get charged with any wrongdoing. But when the final report comes out, if it becomes public, John Durham writes the final report. I strongly believe that you're going to see uh, a comparison between what the CIA knew and, and said behind closed doors and we're telling people the truth and what John Brennan went on TV and said. And I don't think John Brennan will fare very well in the court of public opinion when all that evidence is laid bare to the American public. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful uh, wish to uh, to ask for. Uh, <laughs> I, it is also noteworthy that Brennan hasn't been out in public of late. Yeah, uh, and that's always players. a signal, I'm isn't sorry. it? You know, John Brennan's been quiet. You look, Andy McCabe has been a lot more quiet. Um, uh, Lisa Page been a lot more quiet. A lot of these people whose conduct is James still Comey. under investigation. James Comey, yeah, he, he must be lost in the clouds or in the trees or wherever he was tweeting from a couple of years ago because we haven't heard from him either. And I think that is a sign. Usually people who are still in the crosshairs of an investigation, their lawyers say, hey, pipe down, quiet down, don't poke the bear. So I think that may be a reflection of what we see that John Durham still has a lot of investigating to do. Have you, have we got a list of uh, both sides and who they're calling as witnesses? We do. Most of the um, most of the witnesses for uh, John Durham are government witnesses. They're an FBI agent who worked the case and probably was involved in the opening of the Alpha Bank phase of the case. We expect him to come in based on the filings and say, listen, if we had known that Sussman was working on behalf of Jaffe, the Clinton uh, tech executive in the Clinton campaign, we might have treated this differently. We might not have opened up on this in the middle of a campaign. We believe there's going to be some CIA experts who looked at this when when Sussman, Sussman didn't get what he wanted from the FBI, right? They ultimately decide, ah, this part of the investigation is bogus. So then he tries to repackage it and sell it to the CIA in February of 17. We expect some of those CIA people to come in. The Durham, uh, and then one of the surprise witnesses for the prosecution, he may not be a willing prosecution witness, uh, but Sussman's boss, Sussman's colleague, Mark Elias at Perkins Coie is going to be called on behalf of the government. He may be a hostile Whoa. witness. He may be a cooperating witness, but we expect that to be a very important moment in the trial about what he knew, what, what his emails will show. And that'll be a moment where some of the Perkins Coie internal communications get before the jury. That's going to be a very interesting moment in the trial. Well, Sussman is facing a charge of lying to the FBI. Yes, it seems like a lot of people are open to that charge right now. 
That's a great question, right? Uh, we There's always been questions about the testimony of people like Glenn Simpson. As you know, uh, Devin Nunes, when he was House Intelligence Committee chairman, and by the way, ridiculed in 2018 when his report came out. Remember the media said, oh, uh, Devin Nunes is wrong about everything. Adam Schiff mm-hmm. is the right guy. Four years later, we now know that almost everything Adam Schiff wrote was wrong in his counter report, and everything Devin Nunes wrote has turned out to be true and proven. But remember that Devin Nunes made a large number of criminal referrals of people he believed were not honest to uh, the congressional committee. And, and those are still pending. We don't know the note. I want to point out one thing that will come up at this trial. Um, we, we now know from the text message that uh, Michael Sussman, the Clinton campaign lawyer, told the FBI, I'm not coming to you on behalf of any client. A year later, year and a half later, he goes to the House Intelligence Committee and tells the exact opposite story, which is, I did approach the FBI on behalf of a uh, a client. He couldn't keep his own story straight in those two spheres. And I think that's going to become one of the issues the jury's going to get to see. Uh, but there's a lot of people who testified before the House Intelligence Committee. Jake Sullivan, the current National Security Advisor, is another guy whose testimony has been called into question by Republicans. We'll have to see if any more false testimony cases come out of this John Durham investigation. So, a couple of questions as we wrap up here, John. Do you expect any surprises? I mean, real big surprises to come out of this Durham proceeding? Because, uh, you know, and, and, and the reason I'm asking is it looks like this thing is stacked against John Durham and the prosecution big time. Uh, Christopher Cooper, uh, Obama appointed judge and acting freely in the interest of the Democrats and the left wing, the Hillary Clinton campaigns, the Obama campaigns. Uh, it's it's a massively uh, biased environment into which Durham and his prosecutors are marching. You know, uh, it's definitely true. The jury poll, the city, the media are all going to be stacked against John Durham. They have from the moment he was appointed. The You never can underestimate what happens when a career government official, someone who works in the bowels of the FBI and just goes in and does his job every day, comes out and says, you know what? I work at the FBI. I try to call balls and strikes. I'm, I don't play the politics that was on the seventh floor where McCabe and and uh, uh, Comey were. I try to call balls and strikes. And I'm telling you, as a career FBI agent, I'm looking you in the eye. I might be the guy that a year from now is going to be investigating a murder in your neighborhood or a drug gang that's terrorizing you. So you, want, you I think you trust me to keep you safe. What happened here? It was an abuse of the FBI. They came to us. They lied to us. They used us for a political dirty trick. You can never underestimate how powerful that will be to a juror who may have never in their life before met a real FBI agent. And then a few days later, a guy that comes in from an agency that most people never deal with, the CIA, comes in and here's an analyst, an expert, and says, you know what? We looked at this data that Hillary Clinton's team was putting together, and it is bunk. In fact, it looks like it was manufactured for an October surprise. Those moments can take a a jury that has a lot of biases, has a lot of politics in it, and stop them for a second. And the question I think you'll see, John Durham led this way this morning, and I think he'll close this way. Take the politics out of this again. If this is the drug lord in your neighborhood that's terrorizing you, if this is somebody that gunned down someone in your neighborhood, do you want them to be lying to the FBI? Because 
it's the same crime, whether it's a political person in the Hillary Clinton campaign or that drug lord, you have to treat them the same. And I think you'll see John Durham try to snap the jury out of its natural anti-Trump, pro-Hillary Clinton biases and do that. And I do believe Judge Cooper has done something very important for John Durham. He pierced the attorney-client privilege. He said, you know what? I don't buy this idea that this was an attorney-client privilege um, a product project for Perkins Coie. So I'm letting some of these emails out. I think when people see the raw politics that are in these emails, they might buy into the idea that this was an October surprise. And I think that's that John Durham has to pull off here. We'll see how good he is uh, when the jury verdict comes in. And how long a trial do you think it'll be? It looks like it's going to shape up to be a couple of weeks, not much more than that. It isn't a complicated case, right? Either he lied or he didn't. It's. I think this will go on about a week or two. We'll have a few celebrity. Uh, I think the, the Durham celebrities are going to be the FBI agents, the CI agents who are just, you seldom hear from in the stand. They're going to come out and then there'll be the really interesting examination of Mark Elias. And then it goes to the defense side. You're going to see uh, some of, you might see some of the Hillary Clinton witnesses, campaign people. You're certainly going to see Eric Lickblau. That might be a dramatic moment. Uh, and then this will go to the jury. And I think the key for Durham is to keep people reminding that take your politics out. Do you want anyone to lie to the FBI? And I think that's the, the uh, today Durham laid that gauntlet down in the opening arguments with his prosecutors. And I think they're just going to keep at it. October surprise, October surprise. Misusing the FBI is bad for you. One day, the shoe could be on the other foot and you could be a Democrat and someone's misusing the FBI for Republican gain. You have to punish this so it doesn't happen. I think that's how he'll continue to play the jury right to the last moment. And, and the odds at this at this juncture? You know, it's hard to say. I've, I've never been good. I was wrong about O.J. Simpson when I was a young reporter, and so I decided I'm never going to make a prognostication again. I will say this. John Durham is a very accomplished prosecutor. And by the way, he was a prosecutor for decades in a very blue area of Connecticut. Connecticut is about as a liberal as District of Columbia. It's maybe a little less, but not much. And he always got his convictions. He's a guy that has a very good track record. And I don't think just because the jury poll is stacked against him that we you should bet against them. I think he's going to make a very convincing case. And all through this case, every time it looked like, oh, Hillary Clinton scored a win, the next day, John Durham would come in and say, oh, I forgot to tell you about this. Here's that text message. And people, oh my gosh, uh, well, that was wrong. He's he's trumped the defense several times in the lead up to this trial. And I suspect he'll do it again in the case. He's a very good litigator and his team is very good litigators. Again, they got they got odds stacked against them with the jury poll. But this is a guy that won a lot of cases in blue Connecticut against people that you'd be surprised that they, they secured convictions. I think he'll do very well. It'll ultimately come down to what jurors think of the case. Did, at any point, you expect Durham to ask for a change of venue? I did not. I did not. He plays by the rules. This is not a guy... Uh, I, I, my research on him and talking to lots of people that have worked with him is that he, he's very comfortable working within the system. He, he believes on most days, the system still works. And part of his shock, part of the thing that drove him to bring this prosecution is when someone tries to cheat the system, it really offends a guy like him because he believes that the system can still work. This is not a guy that thinks I got to change venues because I don't believe in the justice system. He's been a career prosecutor for 40 plus years. He believes on most days the system works. And part of the reason he wants to punish Michael Sussman from the people that I talked to around him uh, is that he believes that this was an abuse of the system that he's taken so seriously. So I don't think he ever considered it. I think he feels comfortable 
bringing this case where the crime occurred in the District of Columbia and trying his best to convince a D.C. liberal jury that this is something you don't want happening in government. We'll see how that plays out. And I want to turn quickly to uh, some more of just the news reporting, by the way. Sure. Uh, GOP uh, reps subpoenaed five of them. Uh, McCarthy, Jordan, Biggs, Brooks, Perry. Uh, it's an impressive list. Uh, yes, it is. And, and all the more impressive because there are no true Republicans sitting on that January 6th committee. And it's considered to be, and I think appropriately so, uh, a partisan show trial, uh, a Soviet era uh, show trial in point of fact. Yeah, listen, there's been a lot of effective attacks on the January 6th committee, some of our reporting greatly embarrassed the January 6th commission. Let's remember that it wasn't that long ago where they accused uh, Bernie Carrick and something they put out in public, which by the way, you didn't need to put this into the subpoena, but they did it for show. And they said Bernie Carrick, the former NYPD commissioner, was in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. and attended a meeting the night before the January 6th rally to hijack uh, the counting of the votes. We went and got his phone records and his tracking data, and we showed he wasn't in D.C. He was in New York City uh, three, four hours away, did not attend the meeting, could not have attended the meeting. They had to apologize to him. They've made some major blunders in this investigation. But here's how I think this um, uh, uh, commission is going to work out when it comes to the five Republicans that you're trying to compel testimony from. There is a structural legal problem that this commission has had there are rules that Nancy Pelosi's house put into place that says that subpoenas and compelled testimony can only come from a, a committee that has been properly seated in order for a committee under Nancy Pelosi's rules, by the way, these aren't Republican rules. These are the rules that Democrats put in place. You have to have a ranking member on a committee in order for this to happen. There is no ranking member. The Republicans were not allowed to pick their ranking member. That is not in dispute. There is no ranking member on this committee. Liz Cheney can be on the committee. Adam Kadzinger can be on it, but they're not what are known in the parlance of Congress, in the rules of Congress, ranking member. I think you're going to see Kevin McCarthy and others go to court and say, listen, we have these rules in Congress. We didn't follow them then the rules should continue to apply to us, which is you can't compel something where there's not a ranking member. This is going to get tied up potentially in courts for a while, and it's going to play out. And then there's going to be an election. And if Republicans win, remember this line. Remember what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for, because Republicans could be in control next year. And their first, I guarantee you, their first subpoena uh, and a January 6th related investigation is not going to go to anyone other than Nancy Pelosi, because she has never been questioned about what she knew, why she turned down the National Guard on January 4th, what she was told the day of, could she have prevented this attack? So Democrats may have some buyer's remorse on this come January of next year if Republicans are controlled. But I think what plays out between now and then, my reporting indicates that there is a legitimate legal challenge to uh, this commission committee because it, it isn't following Nancy Pelosi's own rules. And that may give these Republicans a way to contest these subpoenas saying they're not lawful under the rules of Congress. As always, we give our guests the last word, John Solomon, uh, if you will. Yeah, listen, this is going to be a dramatic few weeks in Washington, whether it's January 6th, whether it's the elections uh, playing out in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and uh, uh, other key battleground states, and the Sussman trial. America is still trying to grapple and come to grips with what happened in the last two elections. 
2016, the Russia dirty trick, 2020, some of the rule changes and other things that occurred that put the 2020 results into question in many people's minds. The next few weeks, we're going to see a lot of that play out with court cases, assessment trial. And I think people will walk into the 2022 election with a certain, a more factual certainty about what happened in 16 and 20 uh, than they did going into these weeks a few weeks ago. It's shocking that we're almost at the 2022 election and we're still trying to figure out what happened in 16 and 20. But I think we're going to get some factual clarity for the first time. And that'll be satisfying to people no matter what side of the political aisle you're on. I think we're going to learn some things that we'll all agree will be facts. And that is always a good thing. Absolutely. John Solomon, thanks for all you do. And that is obviously a great deal for the Republic. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Love your show. Thank you. And uh, we love just the news. John Solomon, you can always depend on John's journalism, a great American. And tomorrow here on the Great America Show, we talk with John Paul McIsaac, the young man who lost his computer repair shop and livelihood when Hunter Biden gave him what turned out to be the laptop from hell. That's here tomorrow. We'll learn what he's doing as he puts his life back together and seeks justice. Also with us, Corey Mills, an Iraq and Afghanistan veteran, businessman running for Congress in the 7th District of Florida, and he makes an unusual campaign promise, saying the business that he co-founded sometimes makes liberals cry. That's here tomorrow on The Great America Show. You don't want to miss it. Till then, God bless you, and God bless America.